you wanna learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7, Brave New Radio. We got managers, producers, record labels, concert promoters galore. Wednesday at 8 p.m. Yeah! yeah! Music Biz 101 and more live from Nashville, Tennessee, the Boy. volunteer state. Make sure you go to our website, musicbiz101wp.com. Sign up for that newsletter. You need to sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on the Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook, at musicbiz101wp. And, of course, we have a podcast, which many of you are listening to right now, mm-hmm. and you found it at iTunes or SoundCloud, Music Biz, Ampersand 101. No, Music Biz 101, <laughs> Ampersand, more. Music Biz 101 and more. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp. Who are you? I am Stephen Marconi. Dr. Esteban. Yes. And so as you listen, you'll hear a student. You're going to hear a great, great person. But this was a summer class because of William Patterson, the university. So we want to thank Ashley Weltner, who's been our engineer for all of our radio shows yes. over the past year, and she hooked us up with this tremendous technique of recording that we're doing right now. And we should give thanks, so we put our uh, hands together, legs together, eyes closed, heads down. Thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno, Inc. and White Hat Management, with artists like Charlie Puff, Dave Matthews, and Kith. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB. Hyphen. CPA.com when you are ready. And we should all give thanks to Christine Vey. Oi, a wealth manager and the president of <laughs> Oi Vey Management. <laughs> Oi Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals at William Patterson the University to manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement, or if you have any questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance retirement planning, give Christine a call at repeat after me, 732. 732. 455. 455. 1510. 1510. You can also email her, Christine at oi. theywealth.com. And take the last oi off for savings. That's right. Many shout outs to many different people, but don't forget managing your band's sixth edition. By the time you hear this, it has been out for a year, but like fine wine, it's aging beautifully. Mm-hmm. It's a book, it's in color, it's got glossy pages, and only a few mistakes. Very few mistakes. <laughs> so you're going to love it. And always contact, uh, contact us. Again, go to musicbiz101wp.com, and that's where you can find everything out. Again, big thanks to the Music Biz Association for having us here. Yes. And now on to La Interview. Ooh. Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio. Yes, and I am your co-host. He Dr. is our co-host. David Marconi. Yes, as a co-host, he is Dr. Stephen. I am your co-host, Dr. David. I'm not a doctor. Professor David Kirkfield, <laughs> sitting yes. next to a doctor. And we have a, a professor with us today, an adjunct professor at Belmont the University. Okay. Erin Anderson. Erin. Uh, her actually, it's Erin Anderson Cooper. You may see her on <laughs> CNN. <laughs> Uh, 8 o'clock at night as well. She has the uh, perfect the last, white hair. Last, leave the last Cooper off the <laughs> That is right. And we're here with Jade Brunton, who is our student of the day here mm-hmm. at William, from William Patterson University. And Jade, you are, what is your major? I am a public relations major and a music management minor. Right. Yes. 
So we're very excited to have Jade here as well. Jade was the one, this is a summer class, and Jade was able to contact Erin. Did she find you after a panel? Or she did, yeah. Okay, yeah. and what, did she, what was her wording pitch. to you, to, yeah, her pitch to you to convince you to come on our radio show? She offered show. me $10,000. So wow. when did she do tell I you? get the check? You get the check as soon as this is over. <laughs> I think it's going to bounce. Yeah. We think. Uh, right, and no. it'll be in Bitcoin, too. Absolutely. I'll take it. <laughs> Bitcoin's going up. Yeah. She, um, she just came up and explained what y'all do and, and asked if I'd come talk, and I, I am a full-time artist manager and a part-time adjunct professor, and so as such, I like talking about music, music business, and I love talking to students and college students and trying to help, so it Great. sounded like fun. Yeah. Okay, and this well, is, and we actually this is we love talking to artist managers. We co-wrote a book last year that came out called Managing Your Band. So we love to talk to artist managers and see how much we got wrong. <laughs> Sixth well, edition. I'm excited yeah. to go read it. Yeah, Sixth okay. edition. We'll give you a huge discount. Um, yes. So, but we are yes. It's a six. So he wrote five by himself, and he brought me on for the sixth edition. It only took us six years to do. <laughs> there we go. But okay, so we are so Jade. Yes. Do you want to give a, a brief overview of who Aaron is before you get into the? How do you say your first name? Aaron. Aaron, because I say Aaron, you say Aaron. My wife would say Aaron, like Aaron, yeah. like, like she would make fun Siri of me. Siri can't figure out how to spell my name if mm. I if I'm you know trying to talk to text or say this is Aaron. She spells it incorrectly every time with an is A. Is it like A I R or A A O R O N? A R O N. No, Aaron. But I'm E. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. Okay. And we're e excited <laughs> to have you here on Music Biz One and One More. Yeah, Jade. Why won't you talk? Why are you being like this, Jade? I don't know. Take I'm, over. I'm prepped for my questions. All right. Um, Become prepped. Would you okay. like me to give my overview? So yeah. that was. Oh, that was I, the I was overview. I was going to start with, um, like, if you could explain to us what you do now and kind of how you got started. Doing sure. It. Yeah. Um, I now I am an artist manager. I work mostly in the folk music and Americana music space. Mm. Um, I have been doing that for about six years. Before that, I worked at Amazon Music, Amazon.com, and I did kind of artist relations, a little bit of marketing at Amazon. You know, roles change around a lot, so I was there um, and had a handful of roles over the years that I was there. And then uh, I, I went and got a master's degree at Vanderbilt. I got my MBA at Owen, hmm. um, which is why they let me teach a class okay. at Belmont. So, so, oh, so you have a master's in what? Business. No, MBA. Oh, MBA. oh the mm -hmm. master's. MBA. What is Owen then? Is Owen part Owen of Vanderbilt? Owen is the name of Vanderbilt's business school. Oh, okay. There so we they go. get I mad at me if I don't degrees. throw that in there. Okay. Va I went to Owen Graduate School of Management yes. at Vanderbilt University. There we go. Okay. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, <laughs> and I also, my very first job out of college, I worked at Universal Music Group. So I kind of did the label thing. I did the, you know, retail music tech thing. And now I'm managing artists. Mm -hmm. What'd you do at Universal? Oh, I was an assistant. I worked okay. for the CFO. Um, who was a one is a wonderful man. Who? Uh, his name's Ken Robold. He now works at Sony. Okay. Um, but he, it was I very much lucked into a very great assistant role, because he kind of said to me on the first day, "I don't need you to get my coffee and my dry cleaning. Oh, I need nice. you to look at spreadsheets and help me make decisions and pull information for me and look at artist contracts if I'm on the phone negotiating with a manager. Tell me what the third option is and pull the information really quickly for me. So I got this great education from a very wonderful man right out of the gates, and that really kind of helped set the tone for my career, for That's sure. Yeah. When you joined Universal July of 06. Oh, you got my LinkedIn I'm looking there? at your LinkedIn, yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, go to her LinkedIn. You have a great LinkedIn profile. Thank I mean, you. Because you have so much awesome experience, which would help you become manager. The, the when you left was uh, when you started was the month I left. 
Universal. It's fun because I know his name. I was with oh. Universal Music Enterprises. Cool. I was in the New York side yeah, yeah, yeah. of it, but based in. And I think LA. he came. He he's from that area, and I think he mm -hmm. came through the New York side of Universal. And right, ended up in right. Nashville, so. Yeah, church great. But Jade, would you please take over? I just want to say, um, <laughs> well, in your panel, you had said that you hadn't done any internships, um, so I thought that that was really interesting. I was when you said that, I was like, I have to know. Like, this is so great because all the, they preach like internships. Sure. But I just recently started in the same position. So I work as an assistant at a um, music venue in New cool. Jersey, um, PNC Bank Art Center. And then it's an amphitheater. Cool. Um, and same thing. My boss is like, you know, I d this is not like you're going to answer phones, yes, but like if I need your help, like you're going to help me. And I thought that was really awesome for like my first job. Absolutely. Um, and my, my big question to you is you had decided to kind of just your job like I saw that you <laughs> your friend was like why aren't you managing bands or why don't you manage our band and you literally the next day like picked up and quit your job so yeah. can you talk to us about that decision <laughs> I thought that was like That's real bold stupid move yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think um, it's interesting you know some people approach me and say things like yeah it, it was brave or it was crazy and I was at Amazon it's an amazing place to work and they pay people pretty well and they're doing some really cool things, but I am lucky enough to come from a family where my dad is an entrepreneur, and um, you know I, I I kind of was raised to believe that your work is your your vocation is is um, you know which, what you spend the majority of your time doing should be something you like doing and should be something you're proud of and you enjoy and you're happy. And Amazon just wasn't the right place for me. It's a great company, and Amazon Music does really cool things. But what I was learning about myself was that I would have ideas, and because of the nature of a large company, obviously, multiple people would have to sign off on those ideas. And I felt like pretty consistently um, I wasn't getting, you know, things that I thought were important that we should spend time on, or, or I would spend time on it, the project would ultimately get shut down. Mm -hmm. And I'm the kind of person that knows that I'm motivated by being able to start and create things, grow them, and let them live out there in the world and point to it and say, I'm sorry I missed Thanksgiving, Mom, but I built this. Mm -hmm. And this thing exists on Amazon's website or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. So, um, you know, about the fourth time that something I had put my energy into got shut down. And, and I don't think they were wrong to shut those things down. I think they know their priorities and have obviously done an amazing job growing specifically in music. Um, but I just kind of lost heart and mm. thought I need I need for me to be in a place where I can I can have ideas, grow them, build them, let them live, let them be for me. So I kind of that was going on in the back of my mind when a friend asked me to manage his band, and it felt like a lifeline. It felt like a oh I could do this. This is a way out. This is mm. a a leap that um, maybe my pride will allow me to do this. Mm. I, my pride won't allow me to quit and have no backup plan and no you know. Mm nothing I'm leaving for, but to leave and say I'm starting my own company and I'm managing a band felt like, okay, I'm doing something in this. So it didn't, it didn't feel scary or brave. It felt like the lifeline. It felt like what I needed to do for me like to be happy. Yeah. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And I would like to say for the record, I think my dad was prouder of me that I started a company than he was when I got the job at Amazon because okay. <laughs> he's an entrepreneur and he was like, I know it's going to be hard, but Way to go, kid, you know. Yeah, and what a lifeline. Nice. Like, that's a lifeline to have. Like, you have your dad to say, yes. hey, dad, like, I think I'm messing this up. Can yes. you help me or lead me in the right direction? Oh, yeah. Right. That's amazing. He gets those calls quite often. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Um, okay, so what are, like, your day-to-day -day operations as a manager? So you delegate your work. 
um, do you micromanage? <laughs> like, what are your day-to-day decisions, like, for an artist and then, like, as a manager? Sure. If you ask my employees, they might say I micromanage. <laughs> I try not to because I try to um, hire employees and interns and train them well and then trust their instincts and trust, you know, um, I, don't, I think we're better when everyone is operating and getting to make their own decisions and I'm not micromanaging. In terms of my day-to-day, as I'm sure you wrote about in your book, the day-to-day of an artist manager and managing a band, there is no such thing. Same it's different yeah. every day. I, my favorite example is um, I had a band that uh, did a music video and the concept was a food fight, but they wanted it to be really colorful. So we spent an entire day baking cakes and dyeing them bright red and bright green. Oh, wow. And mm-hmm. I just remember this moment, like, pulling the bright green cake out of the oven and thinking, I have an MBA, <laughs> and <laughs> this is my job today. It's and marketing. It yeah, it was fun. It yeah. was, and, and that's part of why I like what I do is that every day is different. But, you know, in terms of um, what a typical day looks like, it's, you know, I manage four artists. So I try to make sure every single day I spend at least one hour on each of them, okay. which uh, you'd think it's, it's easier said than done. Um, but, you know, like right now, one of my artists is working on writing a new record. One of my artists is gearing up to put out a new record. One of my artists is on tour. And one of my artists had a baby, and she's kind of taken a little bit of time off. So, you know, the one that's on tour or the one that's prepping for a record, I'm spending more than just an hour on them every right. day, quite a lot more. But I want to make sure, you know, I don't ever – just let the one that's really busy get 95% of my time because then the the other ones I'm not keeping their career alive. So that's part of it. Um, I've got two full-time employees and three interns every semester. Um, So one of my employees is kind of like a marketing manager and so she works a lot with social media. She works a lot with making sure we're, you know, marketing all the tours and the venues have everything listed correctly on their websites and the tickets are all right. And then I've got another employee that actually started today, this morning. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. I'm very excited What's to What's the employee's her. name? Her name is Madeline. Madeline. Good to have you, Madeline, on Music Biz 101 <laughs> and more. Go on, Erin um, Anderson. She, uh, sh- her job is more the logistics. So she does, like, um, all the booking of travel and, and making sure the artists, um, you know, have places to stay and someone's thought about their flights. And not all of my artists have full-time tour managers, so sometimes we're advancing the shows for them. So Explain the term advancing the show sure, so people understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you advance a show, you reach out to a venue in advance of showing up there to play a show, and you ask questions, anything from like technical advancing, saying we're showing up with three singers, two microphones, an electric guitar, and an amp, and making sure they're prepared with the right sound equipment, to actual just like what time do you want us to come and sound check, and are you guys providing food or not? Do we get dinner on the way? And are you providing drinks or not? Are you, is there a green room where we can change or do we need to change at the hotel before we get there? All those kinds of like details you'd need to know when you showed up at a venue. We, we reach out and we talk about that, you know, about two weeks to one week in advance of them getting there. Yeah, it's something that a lot of people might not think of before. Yeah, it is. And then you're like, where am I supposed to go? And people are like, no, yeah, like, absolutely. So. Well, that's all about the planning. Um, you must be a very organized person, and you must be able to think two, three, four steps ahead because they're just, all right, I'm getting on the plane or I'm getting on the bus right. and going. Right. And mm-hmm. you're thinking about, all right, so when you get there, and then yeah. if this ha- if A doesn't happen, what's plan B? And then Absolutely. And a lot of that is like trial and error. Like the thing I just said about the green room, I, I manage a handful of women artists, and 
you know, dudes in a van can roll up, put some deodorant on in the bathroom and be good for their show. If that. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of the women artists I manage, you know, they're riding in the van. They might not have their hair done or their makeup done or they might be wearing yoga pants in the van, but they want to wear a dress on stage. And so they need to have a private mm-hmm. space to get ready. Yeah. And some, venu- some venues don't think about that. Yeah. And so, you know, part of my advancing I learned um, was if they don't have a private green room, I've got to book a hotel very close to the venue mm-hmm. so the artists can get ready and then show up. But, you know, it took a while to figure out that that was probably a better solution than having them change in the van and, you yeah. know, right. that's you yeah. know, not comfortable or, or nice. So, But it becomes an extra expense, too. <laughs> Absolutely. So then there's that side of it as right. well. So right. do, do you try and justify that? How do you justify that added expense besides the comfort of sure. the artist? Or it doesn't matter, it's the comfort of it's the artist. It's the comfort of the artist. Yeah. I mean, uh, luckily, the artists in particular I'm talking about that we did this for, they have grown to a place that an extra 50 bucks for a closer hotel room o- over a further away one, it's worth it to them to have that comfort and feel good on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my artists, you know, they're still sleeping on friends' floors when they can, mm-hmm. and there's no- absolutely nothing wrong with that, and scraping by, and you know, out there working really hard and, and, and every single penny counts. Um, and, and I'm conscious of that, you know, for each artist, depending on their situation. And some artists value comfort over money and some artists are like, I'll sleep on the floor if it saves me a hundred bucks. That's mm-hmm. awesome. So it just depends on where they're at. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, when deciding to manage an artist, what is it that you look for? Um, are there any specific artist types that you try and stay away from? <laughs> Oh, man, how much time do you have? Um, Yeah, I think, you know, every manager is different, and if you talk to 10, what they're looking for is different. And I have, over the course of the six years I've been doing this full time, figured out the personality types that work for Mm. me. It's not just genre, and I've learned that kind of my contacts in general are in this kind of folk, AAA radio Mm. Americana space. So I, I tend to stay there. I probably wouldn't manage a rap artist or a metal artist. But anywhere from like indie rock, folk, Americana, maybe even southern rock, bordering on classic country. That's kind of my world. So that's one thing I look for. Um, but, but the important piece that took me a while to learn and be able to nail down is just the personality. It's you're going to be stuck on a plane with this person at 2 in the morning. Yeah. Do they turn into a terrible, nasty person yeah. when they're tired? You know, you're going to, um, for me, my reputation is really important. And, and I had an artist at one point that was a dis- dishonest person. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. when, a ven- when he felt like a venue didn't pay him correctly, he wouldn't go through appropriate channels. He'd steal a bottle of Jack Daniels from behind the bar because oh. he felt like he was justified. He mm-hmm. just wasn't a good person. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, it's kind of hard to tell in a couple coffees if someone's a good person. But I'm looking for, like, do our moral grounds align? Right. Do I want to spend time with you at 2 in the morning in an airport? Right, so those are kind of the things. It's, it's genre, personality. Obviously, I have to like the music. Do we share some sort of moral ground? And then I'm also learning that as someone that's very controlling in type A, I can't manage someone that's controlling in type A because mm. I don't want a boss. I quit my job at Amazon because I had seven bosses. Right. I like artists where we're partners, and they control the art and the music and I control the business. And obviously they, they sign off on things, but I don't work for them. They don't assign me tasks to do for them. Because I'm not at my best when you're telling me, please edit my Wikipedia page. I'm at my best when I'm looking at you and saying, I think we need to go tackle the UK now. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So that's what I'm looking for. That doesn't mean that managers, like doesn't mean any of those other relationships are wrong or bad. That's just what I need. 
right. to feel happy. <coughs> oh, so you said uh, that uh, you have to like the music. Yeah. That's not every manager says that. Correct. So uh, what what brought you to that conclusion yeah. that you couldn't do the business of somebody who could be very, very successful in a genre you just really don't care about? I cannot hide my feelings on my face. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard for me to sell. I mean, essentially, as a manager, you're, you're trying to open sure. doors for the artist. You're trying to sell things. And, and I just know myself that I can't fake it till I make it. I can't... Um, well, in some, in some, like on the business side, so I can't. Yeah, yeah. But right, but uh, in terms of like ca calling and trying to get them an opening slot yeah, or trying to open right. doors for them, if I don't personally believe it, I'm not going to be effective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think there are managers. I, I think you're absolutely right. You do not have to like mm -hmm. the music, and I and I don't think you even have to lie. But but you have to try to open doors for them. I just can't. I'm not effective at it if mm -hmm. I don't like the music. Did mm -hmm. you uh, see Supermensch or read the book oh, Supermensch? Oh, I watched it and read it. <laughs> and Great keep book. it Great. on my desk and reference it quite frequently. I'm rereading it for like the third so time. Good. I was like, reading it on the plane over here. I have yellow stickies all over the place. Uh, but he's somebody, Chef Gordon, who managed Alice Cooper to great heights, never really particularly liked the music. Absolutely. He liked Teddy Pendergrass, you know, the R&B right, right, stuff. Right, right. So it, it's interesting how he believed in the artist and what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. Sure. I'm just saying from his perspective, yeah. he believed in the artist and, and that, that journey. He yeah. didn't necessarily dig the music, yeah. but he liked everything else and enjoyed totally. building something. Yeah. So mm -hmm. One thing you talked about was getting to know the artist. And if you don't know them, you don't want to work with them. How much time? Is there a rule of thumb or just a gut? Do you, do you, is yeah. it sometimes, is it months with some? Is it one night yeah. with others? How does it work? That is a great question. Uh, you know, I recently signed an artist, worked with this artist for six or seven months, and then just kind of realized it isn't a personality fit. But I really liked the artist as a person. Um, I s would love to keep hanging out with this person. Um, but on the business side, we didn't click. And mm -hmm. I thought the three coffees we had were enough, and it wasn't. So mm -hmm. I, I've actually been internally thinking about, how do I ask different questions next time to figure out, do you have this personality trait that doesn't work with me? I don't know how to... You know, it's, it's kind of hard to sit down and be like, are you a type A micromanager? Uh, some artists might not know that. They yeah. might not be self-aware enough to say that. Or deny it. Right, or deny it, right. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I tend to think it's, it's a handful of coffees. I like to see them live before I sign them. Even mm -hmm. if I've watched videos online, I need to go to a show. I need to feel the energy. Um, and then I like to ask around. The music community is small, not just in Nashville, anywhere. Um, and usually if an, if an artist has been around for a little while, they're, they have a reputation, good or bad. And so the artist I was referencing earlier that would steal the bottle of Jack Daniels, three people told me not to do it, and <laughs> I didn't listen. Yeah. Because I thought, I, I like the guy. We had, we had a great time at coffee. Um, I love the music. Uh, but I learned that lesson, you know. Yeah. How did he, did he find you, or were you recommended to? Uh, we were introduced via an agent that we both had a relationship with. Okay. And the agent said, I think you guys would be able to do some great yeah. stuff. And so. Right. Maybe you were both sort of flying high on this introduction thing Absolutely. and new person, and then uh, yeah. you couldn't really see it yet. And that's yeah. sometimes, yeah, it, it's just time. You know, sometimes, right. you, I mean, people get married. Right. Uh, and all of a sudden, once they get married, they don't, or they, <laughs> they live together, other. all yeah. of a sudden, like, oh my God, what are you doing with the toothbrush? Or, right. you know, yeah. mm -hmm. and you just don't know sometimes. I, I quite frequently liken a manager to a marriage. I mean, you're sure. tying yeah. your schedule and your finances and your, what you do with your day-to-day -to, -day to another person. And um, that is an intimate thing 
even though it's a business relationship. And so, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, but I also like view it as, you know, the ones that don't work out, they're not failures. It's, I learned something. I added something else to my mm-hmm. list of what I'm looking for. I usually expanded my Rolodex a little bit and met people through that artist. And now I'm better educated about what I want to do next and what I'm looking for next. Mm-hmm. That's what I bet your dad would tell you, was yes. that as an entrepreneur, you know, this is your business, you're going to screw up. And if you don't learn from the screw-ups, from the failures, then it really is a failure. Sure. Mm-hmm. So having the opportunity yeah. to just – it's good that you – sometimes, like you said, I'm, it's almost like I'm glad that happened. Sure. Just because now I know not to do that ever again and give myself all the agita at 3 a.m. Exactly. And also <laughs> – Indirectly, I met all these other people too. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I kind of want to touch back. You said that like you ended a contract after six or seven months. So, like, is your normal contract like a year? Did you end that contract early? Because what we've learned is that a contract is for a specific amount of time. So, was there time like yeah. the six or seven months? So, you know, this is where I might get in trouble with your professors. <laughs> um, <laughs> I learned this lesson, the very first artist I ever signed, they were my friends that said, hey, manage our band. And so I was, I was thinking, I'm going to be this big professional manager. And I had a friend that was a lawyer, and I got this 10-page artist contract, and we edited it to fit us. And it locked them in for two years, and it rolled over two years if they didn't you know, let me know in 60 days, something like that. First two years were great. It automatically rolled over. We were through the third year, about halfway through the fourth year. And I found out they were meeting with other managers behind my back. And they were friends of mine. And it just, it broke my heart. And I called them and I said, let's sit down. I said, you guys, what are you doing? If you're unhappy, tell me. I don't want to work for six more months for you if you're unhappy. Mm. Like, let's just be done. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I had a small sunset clause. They were a small indie band. You know, we just kind of, I pulled out the contract (laughs) and I said, I value my time and I care about you. And if I'm not, I'm, it's a service business. If I'm not doing a great job providing a service and you want to go somewhere else, let's not wait six more months just because a piece of paper says we're supposed to. Let's talk. So we worked at a a little deal where if, if the record that, you know, I was their manager during the release of it, any sync licensing or money that came in on that record for the next year, they'd pay me a reduced commission and any of the shows that were currently confirmed, they'd pay me my full commission on and I was done. And that felt cleaner to me and it felt better to me than trying to hold them to a piece of paper. And so when I went to sign my next artist, that artist lawyer actually called me and said, would you consider just like a deal points email? Like, let's just get it in writing. You pay this percentage, or we pay you this percentage. You know, we don't pay commissions on these couple things. Um, You know, after one year, you get a sunset clause of this. After five years, you get a sunset clause of this. 30 days, easy out on either side at any point in time. And I was like, yeah. That's awesome. So that's what I have. I have deal points emails with all of my artists. You know, I've had lawyers tell me that's not smart, but I don't want to work hard for someone that doesn't want me anymore. And, you know, the artist that I had been working with for six or seven months, I I wanted out and I just called her and said, I don't I don't think it's working and I don't think I'm a good fit for you. So let's do this. And I actually proposed a reduced commission on the shows that were coming up because I wasn't going to advance them for her. I wasn't going to market them for her. I just wanted a little bit for the time I had spent putting the tour together. And, you know, we just kind of worked it out and agreed to it. So, you know, I don't, I, that's just my philosophy. I could get burned in the future and someone's going to say, I told you so. You need a longer agreement. But that's that's what I do currently. But but you're. What do you call it, a deal point memo, basically? Yeah, yeah. What do, what do you think it would be missing that they could get you for? Because we know a number of art uh, managers who just shake a hand. Yep. So you would have something, still have something, right? We talked to, and I'll get to, you can answer the question, 
Um, Brian Schechter, who is the manager for Jersey-based, I always, the, My uh, Chemical Romance, my thank romance. you. Yeah. I always, because everybody calls them MC, MCR, MCR yeah. which throws me off, so I always forget My Chemical. I wasn't a big My Chemical, My Chem. I wasn't a big My Chem guy. <laughs> but um, So he was their manager, and they had a handshake. They had some emails that I guess had gone back and forth because they fired him. And um, so he ended up going to the lawyer, and yeah. they, they were able to create you know, a, a sunset clause. For those listening, that's the outgoing agreement once you're no longer managing. And they were able to put that together. Then we have other people who have just sort of done the handshake and then the people just, they're gone. Yeah. And, and that's mm -hmm. it. So your deal point memo, what would it be missing that you think, yeah, or some other lawyers have told you, you sure. don't have this, 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 and you're gonna I mean, get I hurt? I think some people think it's really important to have that time, to have that it's two years, you're locked in. I just don't think that's important for me. And then, you know, we don't get super detailed about, there's a couple things I don't commission. I manage an artist that had a, a wealthy family member, and so we put it in the contract that if that family member gives any money or advances money, I can't commission that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely fair. I didn't right. raise that for you. I didn't make that happen. So those kind of things, um, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I'm sure there are some small little minutia, you know, financial points that probably mm -hmm. could be worked out. I don't, I don't feel like I'm unprotected. I feel mm -hmm. like I'm where I want to be. Right. And it seems like any artist can fire you at any point anyway. anyway I mean, they're just going yeah. to. So yeah. from your perspective, it's almost yeah. just get the sunset clause in there in yeah. case you do get some revenue sure. coming in so you can earn. Yeah. I just don't want to be in the sunset clause. You know, I just don't want to be the person that worked with an artist when they were independent, not really making much money. I put in a bunch of hours for very little money and then they grow to a point that they make sense and a vector or a red light or someone swoops in and takes them and I get no reward for mm -hmm. that. And so that's, that's why I, and I talk to artists about that. Like I sure. want, you know, 12% the first year afterwards if you're leaving me because I worked really hard to get you here. And yeah. then, you know, 5% the year after that and 2% the year after that so that I get some reward for the time that I put in. Are you generally at 20%? No, or I'm usually closer to like 15 to 18. Is it of 100% or of a, a, a net number? No, it's, it's uh, the only thing I don't do gross on is merchandise. So I, I only commission cost of goods mm -hmm. on merchandise. So if you're selling t-shirts at a show and those t-shirts cost you $5 to produce and you're selling them for 20, I only commission 15, mm -hmm. not 20. However, at a show, if you have a $2,000 guarantee, but it costs you, you know, a hundred bucks in gas to get there and a hundred dollar hotel, I'm still commissioning the full $2,000. Oh, so it is, okay. it's gross on everything except merchandise. I, is yeah. that in your deal point memo? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You, I keep feeling I'm stepping on you. No, no, yeah. I was just going to say that's one way to look at it. And other managers do reduce their commission on a lot of different things. You mm -hmm. know, if there's a huge tour that's going to last 18 months and sound and lights and all that and the three trucks sure. and all that, then they sit down prior to the tour and say, I can't commission. Absolutely. I ask for permission on net for this. It's a right. huge tour. Right. But it's going to grow so much money, it's yeah. fine. You know, that we're doing it this way. Right. Sure. And, and I think those are places where the artist lawyer would want to sit down with me and say, mm -hmm. okay, we're getting to the point where production is a big part of our expenses, which is technically, you know, it's required to put the show on, so you shouldn't commission grossly or you shouldn't commission net. Yeah. And you want to get to that point. Wouldn't that be great? I would love that. Yeah. I, I will happily <laughs> <Yes>. commission <laughs> the net when we're there. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay, so I kind of wanted to switch gears into, you had talked about your interns, and I thought something you said in the panel the other day was really interesting, how you like test your interns. So 
so you had said that you give them thirty minutes to like kind of create was it like a mar- a management plan? Mhm. Um, and then you know if somebody takes too long that's you kn- you know like [laughs] okay, so I kinda wanna know like how did you come up with that idea? And why? Yeah. I guess like why? [laughs] Yeah. Why does it work? Yeah. [laughs] Why does it work? Yeah um I came up with, so I mentioned I went to Vanderbilt for grad school and one of my um grad school classmates started a consulting firm that their sole purpose is to help companies hire better, make better hiring decisions so they don't spend a bunch of time and money training people and then lose the talent cuz it wasn't a good fit or whatever. So he called me and said, hey, I need I need some like quotes on my website, I need some like, I need some business, I need some company logos that put on my website to go drum up some business, can I give you some free advice? I said, sure. And he said, well, how do you do your hiring? And I said, well, mostly I hire interns. And and so we just talked through process and he actually suggested, why don't you have them do a little exercise? Because then you could see very quickly, are they good writers? Cuz you know, a student's cover letter has likely been looked at by a career center and friends and family and that might not actually be the kind of writer that they are. So um so the little exercise I have them do is, I interview them and we talk about you know, kind of a behavioral interview questions and what are your strengths and weaknesses and what brings you joy and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of that I send them a music video by one of my artists and and the task is really simple, it's just a little paragraph instruction. Watch this video, come up with a list of three places you would pitch to cover this video, like write about the video or post it on their website. And then write an email that is what you would say to pitch the video. And so in that, you know, there's a couple things I can learn about them. Um and I think I said this in the panel that, you know, are they suggesting publications that make sense? Because if I send them an Americana, you know, folk singer and they're suggesting like cmaworld dot com and it's not a country artist, then they don't quite understand what I do and they don't quite understand what's out there. If they struggle to come up with three publications, then they probably don't follow Billboard and they don't follow Consequence of Sound and they don't, they're not invested in the music industry. And and I want people that have some knowledge of what's happening in the industry and are following the trades. If they can't write or write professionally, if they get details wrong and they're not detail oriented, so they spell the artist name wrong or they'd say the song title wrong, you know, it's all those kind of little things that add up to maybe they're really personable, but they can't accomplish these tasks. And the other thing I, one thing I look at is the time. Another thing I didn't say is um, I also very specifically ask them to email it to this certain address, which is not my email address that they've previously emailed. It's like a contact at Olivia Management instead of Aaron at Olivia Management. And I say, and once you've done that, please come, you know, say goodbye before you leave. And 80% of them send it to the wrong email address. Like they don't put the file format correctly. So, so it's like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a lot of different things. And my friend Noah that suggested this to me, I was like, man, I learned so much about someone in 30 minutes that you can't learn just talking to them. So I've really enjoyed that. And that's really helped me lead people out. And since I implemented that, I think I've only hired, you know, it's probably been six semesters and I've only hired one out of 18 bad interns since then. So Mm -hmm. I've lucked out with good good advice. So when you're having them like send the email and are you asking them to send an attachment as well? Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. because in my classes, I'll say, do not send this as just as an example, not because you're doing the wrong, uh, like I'll give instructions, specific instructions, send it, no attachment, do this, do this. And it's very interesting to see who reads that stuff and who doesn't. And from your perspective, why is that important that they follow the directions exactly? Yeah. Well, I don't, I'll 
always have time to tell the intern why. I've asked you to put this in a PDF. Maybe you don't know, but the reason I've asked you to do that is that the place I'm uploading it only accepts PDFs. So if you do 50 of these things for me at your internship today and you ignore my instruction, you just created more work for me. Or, you know, so, so for me, it's important that you follow instruction because I don't always have time to give you the reason why I need it the way I need it. It's just I need it this way because it is a fast-paced business and I think a lot of the success that my clients have had is because we're able to respond and put things together really, really quickly for them. And so I can't do that without my intern. You know, I think at some major record labels or major management companies, for legal reasons or whatever, the interns can't be very, can't see a lot of what's going on and they can't read a lot of what's happening. And so they're given tasks like mailers and that kind of thing. My interns are like pulling press quotes. I had a, I had a artist nominated for a Grammy this year and they helped me make all the Grammy materials. It was important that you pulled the quote correctly from Rolling Stone and you quoted it the way I told you because that was actually what I was sending to the Grammy voters. So um, that was a long-winded way of saying, no, yeah, it's because you don't have all the context. At what point when you left your job at Amazon and you did this full time, did you on, on day one have enough to do with that one band to cover the full day? Or sure. were you immediately thinking, I need to expand to get to two to three? Besides just having enough to do, but also I also need to make some money. Yeah. Well, that's actually how I started teaching because one of my mentors was a professor at Belmont and was an entrepreneurship professor. And he, he was kind of looking at me thinking, you're commissioning 15% of an indie rock band that maybe grossed 30 grand the last year. How are you going to survive? And so um, it happened to be great timing that they were expanding the entrepreneurship department at Belmont. And he said, you know, would you like to be an adjunct? And he knew that they don't you know, pay particularly well, but it was enough to cover like my rent and my car payment. And then what I was earning from, and what I was earning from the bands could be like I ate, you know, I put <laughs> gas in my car, that kind of thing. Um, so no, I, I think on day one, I actually very distinctly remember this because like I said, the, the band that I was managing, they were my friends and I didn't have an office. And at the time I was sleeping on a friend's couch and I took my little laptop and I drove over to his house and I like walked in and sat down on his couch and I was like, this is it. This is Olivia management. This is my. This is what I do for a living now, and it was a very surreal moment. I I mistakenly signed up for artists very quickly. Mm-hmm. I think some. Uh, I had a lot of friends that were artists, um, and so most of my initial clients were friends or people I'd had existing relationships with, and I think they mistakenly thought that because I had worked at Universal and Amazon, I immediately was going to like get them a record deal with Universal and get them featured on Amazon's mm-hmm. homepage, and and. Um, I didn't sell them on that, but I think they just assumed, assumed that. Yeah. Um, and it's that's a lot easier said than done, those two things. But also, you know, one lesson that I learned right off the bat was that each of those artists, <coughs> it was like a, a product line. Like each of those artists was launching a separate business. So all of a sudden, I went from having a full-time job where I just went to one building every day to I was teaching and I had four businesses, five four artists and my own businesses that I was running. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that setup work makes no money. I was helping them get LLCs set up and bank accounts set up and finding them team members and trying to get agents. And so um, the mistake I made was I started five businesses at one time Mm -hmm. and um, I had, I had, you know, probably enough to fill a work week, but none of it was revenue generating. Mm -hmm. And so that was my big mistake was that I, I didn't focus on revenue generating things fast enough. Right. Were they expecting you to also don't uh, invest some money as well, or 
or was it just she's going to give her time and eventually she'll get some? Yeah, they were not expecting that. I mm-hmm. didn't have it. I spent every penny I had moving back across the country from Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that some managers do that, you know, when they're in a position to do that. But, you know, we, ha- we did some fundraising campaigns, so I helped run some pledge campaigns and that kind of thing um, to, to make sure that um, the artists could survive. And we, we kind of grew some stuff. And most of them had, you know, drove for Uber, had part-time jobs. And so they were, they were surviving, and together we were trying to build it so that they c- we could all do this music thing full-time. Um, so I saw on your website that you do, there was like an education section that you could sign up for. So I was wondering if you could explain a little more about that. And I assume because you're a professor, that's part of the reason you came up with it. But like why and how you really yeah. came up with it. Thanks for asking about that. It's one of my favorite things I've done. Um, I, I do, so I do some artist consulting. So I manage for, for artists, but I, I decided that I have such a heart for indie artists and I'm watching these talented people make all these terrible decisions, I started doing one-on-one consulting. And so I charge a pretty decent hourly rate, but they can come in and sit with me and ask me, what is TuneCore? What is, you know, what is a PRO? And, and I kind of teach them and explain these things because a lot of artists don't want to pick up a book and read it for right. themselves. Right. They want someone to sit there and tell them and teach them. Mm-hmm. And I had one of those artists say to me at one point, you know, I, I didn't major in music business and I wish that I had, and there's nowhere to go get that knowledge. Like, there's no class I can go take. You can't just audit a class at Belmont. Um, and it just kind of hit me like, oh, I can take this music business 101 knowledge and just offer a class and and teach, you know, some artists that were up and coming that didn't couldn't afford a one-on-one consulting. I could instead do it for 50 people at a time and say, here's what TuneCore is, here's what a PRO is, here's, you know, don't just finish your record and put it out next Friday. Give yourself four months to market it and do the right. art and try, you know, f- try to find some team members and have a budget. And so um, I did, the first one I did was last fall, I did a four-part educational series, and so each night had a topic, so we did, like, how to be your own artist manager, how to release a record independently, and I forget the other two. Um, mm-hmm. And I sold like a package where you could buy a ticket to all four. You could just pick one that you were particularly interested in. And it was really fun. And it, it, um, it was, I, I like things like that that are rewarding because um, a lot of artists don't say thank you a lot mm-hmm. because it's my job and you don't have to thank me for my job. But when I do the mentoring and the teaching, those artists thank me profusely. And yeah, you yeah. taught me something. You taught me something that enables me to do, to make a living. And so that's really rewarding. So that's part of why I do it. And because I'm a teacher and I like teaching. So I was curious because when I was looking at it, I noticed that it's all in person. So have you maybe, I mean, that was the first one you did, right? Mm -hmm. So have you considered maybe putting it online and doing something like that? I'm in the middle of that right now. I actually hired a company that does like the, they're kind of like brand storytellers. And so we're starting to write the script and that's one of my plans. I'm hoping that We'll probably finish filming it and editing it by the end of this year, and it'll probably come out next year. Cool. That's yeah. something that I would be interested in, because when I was looking, I'm, I was reading through it, um, I thought that that would be something that's really interesting for people who don't necessarily have the time to go to college or don't sure. necessarily have the time to make it to Nashville, so I thought that um, <laughs> that was really interesting. So I only have one last question, but I know... We have more, many more. Many, many <laughs> more. So my last question is more about like your teaching and towards your students. So um, what is one piece of advice 
as a teacher, as a professor, to the students who are going into entrepreneurship and the new businesses, what is one piece of knowledge or advice that you can, or that you do give to sure. them every semester? Um, one of the things I say every semester is that everything matters. Um, you know, especially if you're in school for entrepreneurship or music business, the people teaching those classes are active in the industry you want to go into. So it amazes me when students show up late every day to my class and then ask me for a job. <laughs> or ask me to write a recommendation for them for a job. And um, it's, it's amazing to me. I think sometimes students just go, oh, this is my teacher, and oh, this is the professional world. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize, like, we're very much invested and active in the professional world. And if you, um, you know, show up and invest and um, stay after class and talk to me, I can help you get an internship. I can help you get a job. You know, I've now hired two of my former students. Um, hopefully it'll be five in the next few years. You know, so I, I think that's one thing that sometimes students think that there is a separation between school and the real world, and there's not. Especially if you're in that kind of program where you have a lot of adjuncts that are active, or, or maybe they're full-time professors, but they used to be a full-time artist manager. You know, I, I tell my students all the time, I've lived in Nashville for 16 years. I've been in the music industry for 16 years. Like, just because I now manage an artist you've never heard of doesn't mean that I don't know the president of Sony because I do. Yeah. I babysat his children. I worked mm -hmm. for him for four years. You know, so I, I think um, that is something that I wish that all students would understand. And especially if you're in music business classes, I mean, if you look around you in five years, this is going to be the marketing manager at Universal, and this is going to be the artist manager of the number one artist mm -hmm. on the radio, and this is, you know, and and treat group projects with respect and like, you know, show up and do what you say you're going to do and be a kind, respectful student, human being, citizen because it matters. And I just I I try to pound that into my students' head like everything matters, and you know if you are a bad group member, a bad citizen, you have now started to create a bad reputation. And I think that's really important, and I think some students don't think about that. Do you tell your students to come here? To this conference? Yeah. Sometimes, um, you know, it's summer, so they're not, they're not all here. Oh, right. Uh, they're not in town. Um, Belmont does a really good job of putting on a lot of programs and bringing a lot of speakers, and that's another thing. Like, wherever you're at, most programs are actively bringing in speakers and artists and you know, man, you're wasting money on college if you're not staying for those yeah. and standing up and talking to the people afterwards. And it amazes me, like, when I go to something like this, like, I'm so thankful you came up and talked to me afterwards. Like, you're going to you're gonna make it. You're going to have a great mm -hmm. job. You're going to do really well because you stay after yeah. and you talk to people and you invest. And the students that are sitting at the back and leave early and come late and don't, you know, they're not. They're going to have to go home and work for their parents or something, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that. It, this is the first time I've been to this conference, and we do we have seminars at our school. Um, it's actually a requirement for cool. minors, majors too. Yes. So, um, so we had five five people this semester, and they come in and they kind of do like what you did on the panel. And I thought that they were they're really informative. And this, I think that your panel, your entire panel, was so um, educational. What was like, the name so of your panel? It was the something about. Start now if you want to work in the music business. It was kind of directed at college students. Mm -hmm. I really don't remember the name of it. You got the book? Yeah, um, I took the notes. But it was a, a, a handful of recent college graduates, and then I employ recent college graduates, and I'm a, not quite as recent. But it was, it was about, you know, if you want to be in the industry, 
what can you do now? You know, mm. what can you do now to start getting invested and start um, creating relationships and potentially it, it, it getting was, jobs? Uh, I don't have a right front. You don't have to wait to graduate to be in the music yeah, business. That's it. That's you it. don't have to wait. How many people work for your company? Um, I've got two full-time employees and three interns. And you have uh, office space at this point? I do. What, uh, is it like a loft in a building, or is it a big room, or is um, it? Yeah, it's, uh, I share with actually two other management companies, mm -hmm. which so is really fun because one of them manages like jam bands, and one of them manages rock bands, and I do like the folk Americana thing. And so it's fun because we can commiserate and we can share resources and uh, like we have some of our artists have the same lawyer so he'll come sit in my office and then he'll go sit in their mm -hmm. office and that's really fun but it's a um, it's, it's an office space and, and so each of the three companies have our own little room and then there's a shared um, like a shared conference table that all of our interns sit at which is really fun because a lot of times our interns know each other because right. a lot of them are Belmont students or MTSU students or sometimes Vanderbilt students um, so we've got kind of like a big conference room, big shared table, and then small rooms that are our individual offices. Mm -hmm. When you first started Olivia Management, at what point did you become an LLC right away? What uh, Talk about the steps of actually sure. starting your company, step one. You, yeah. you leave Amazon, and then what did you physically do yeah. to start the company? I gave Amazon 30 days notice. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of had 30 days to plan my move and plan what I was going to do. Um, I named my company after my great grandmother, hmm. and because I, <laughs> I called my parents and said I'm not going to have kids anytime soon, so I'm going to name my company the family mm -hmm. name. <laughs> um, so uh, I kind of had 30 days while I was still employed to start setting those things up. So I set my LLC up from afar. I set it up in Tennessee when I was still living in Seattle. Um, I already had a great relationship with a bank, a local bank here, and so I called my banker that I had known and said, hey, I'm doing this. Can we go ahead and set my business accounts up? So I had a lot of that kind of going before I had my feet on the ground because it felt like it was the only thing I could start doing. You know, I couldn't start managing while I still had a full-time job, but I could start getting the logistics set up. Um, so yeah, I set up the LLC right away. I set up bank accounts right away. Set up the LLC, did you use like LegalZoom or did you go to an actual lawyer to set up your LLC? Um, in Tennessee, and I don't know how it is in every state, you can just go to the Department of Tennessee government website and put in what you want. They ask for your agent of reference, which is your lawyer. And so I had a lawyer friend and I put his name down and said that was fine. Mm -hmm. But I, you can actually file the paperwork yourself. You don't have to go to a lawyer mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but you still have to pay, Like I think lawyers mark up the fee a little bit, but in Tennessee, um, a one-person, you know, member-managed LLC, I think is $250, $250 for the year, mm -hmm. and I filled that out. Um, so I did that myself online. And with an LLC every year, you have to renew it, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, uh, so it renews every year, and um, I think it's, it's $250 every year. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I'm trying to think other things. I mean, I, ha I got – I didn't get an accountant to manage my books all the time, but I found a great accountant to do my taxes at the end of the mm -hmm. first day. I mean, first year, not first day. Um, <laughs> to do my taxes at the end of the first year, um, and I kept track of everything, you know, in a spreadsheet at first before I joined QuickBooks. Um, mm -hmm. So I kind of, um, you know, I, what we call in the entrepreneurial community like bootstrapping. I bootstrapped it. I didn't get an office space. I didn't, um, you know, I worked from coffee shops and home, and I um, didn't hire anybody. And I, you know, looked for interns and free help and all those kinds of things, you know, when I first started. Did that answer your question? Yeah. I kind of lost my train of thought. Mm -hmm. Sorry. No, no, it was, yeah, the steps you took just to, even sure. just to set up the business set and get it up. going. Yeah. 
and a, a lot of things. I had a friend that was a graphic designer. You just have, be nice to people because when I first started, I had a friend that was a lawyer that let me put his name on the paper for free. I had a friend that was a graphic designer that designed my logo for free. Uh, I had a friend that was a web developer that helped me buy the domain, set the email up for free. You know, all these things came in very much handy, so I didn't have to outlay a bunch of cash right mm -hmm. at the beginning. But you did have to pay for host uh, hosting for yep. the website. Yeah, right? and I don't think Squarespace didn't exist yet then, um, and I, I use Squarespace now, and it's amazing, and mm -hmm. I can make really pretty websites all by myself, mm -hmm. but they're mm -hmm. not paying me to say that. Um, right. uh, but I, I forget how I made my first website. It might have just been like a splash folder page, mm -hmm. but yes. A new artist comes to you mm -hmm. tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The Brunton family singers, they come <laughs> to you tomorrow. Um, and you say, yeah, I want to manage you guys. So, okay, and we're pretty new, you know, but mm -hmm. they're at the point where they can have a manager. Okay. You know, you're not from zero, like they don't even need a manager, they mm -hmm. write a gig. Um, what are the things that you are doing day one with this new group or singular artist to take them to whatever that next level sure. might be? Well, just logistically, some of the first things I do, I have like an artist intake form and it's like, give me mm. your passwords and make us admin on your Facebook account and we audit your website and is it up to speed and get our, get our contact info everywhere. Um, if they have no team members, we immediately start looking for, I, agent would probably be my first stop to find a booking agent because playing shows is the, the majority of the money that we make and it's vital for audience growing. Is that hard or easy for you to find agents? <laughs> it's so hard. Yeah, okay. It's so hard. Because they have uh, to get to, are, are, have you found some like very junior, junior, junior agents who are willing to make 30 bucks and book a $300 sure. gig kind of um, thing? Or? Yeah, I mean, I, I am aware of a few. Uh, what I have found is I have a, there's an agent that I have a great relationship with. I brought him my biggest band. He has killed it you know, done an amazing job booking them and growing their revenue and putting them in the right rooms. And so now when I sign a new artist, I go to him first and mm -hmm. I say, I love working with you. Is this something you might be interested in taking on or in a place to take on? And he's said yes three more times because mm -hmm. we just have such a great working relationship. Um, and my assistant, who I just promoted because I just hired someone under her, um, she's hoping to sign an artist in the next year. And I said, you need to go find yourself a Peter. Like Peter to me, you need to find yourself that agent that you work so well with and you have a great relationship with. And the agent knows that if you're bringing an artist, you're going to work hard on the marketing side so that those rooms are filled so he doesn't look stupid, you know, mm -hmm. when he's booking with the talent buyers. So um, that's kind of, you know, I've, I lucked into that relationship and now I really, really value it. But finding an agent is hard. I mean, agents, at least for me as a manager, I commission everything. So if shows don't work, I can go create a funny t-shirt and try to sell those and commission that. And if that doesn't work, we can go try to write songs for film and TV. And if that, I have so many options for a revenue stream. An agent only has ticket sales. That's it. So if you can't sell tickets or convince them you can sell tickets, they can't help you. They, they, they have to make enough money at least to cover their salaries so that they mm -hmm. can stay gainfully employed. So it's a lot of times it's not a decision of do they like the music, it's are you financially in a place where they can take you on. And so mm -hmm. if the band isn't, you know, I, I work to try to get them to that place and ensure that they will have the ticket sales that, that make an agent more interested. Mm -hmm. Now with the genre you handle, I assume the rooms that they work are fairly small. Mm -hmm. Do they have to play for free? call New York to pay to play sure. because to guarantee the club owner X amount of people to walk in before they see a cent and okay. so on. Is it sort of similar here in uh, Nashville? It's, it's not. Room? I think we're lucky in Nashville because there's, a, there's so many musicians here 
I think if a venue ever tried to actually I saw an article yesterday that venues are trying to charge do pay to play during CMA Fest downtown yeah, yeah. and they're being called out because really? we won't take that. Mm -hmm. I think there's a little bit of playing for free. I mean there's those exposure gigs, but in right. terms of I mean my artists are playing like, you know, 500 cap rooms. Mm -hmm. Um some two, 250 to 500 cap rooms. So, you know, it's the small seated rooms, the listening yeah, rooms, right. the the um you know, the Rockwood Stage 2s of the world. Mm. Um, so, you know, they're not, I won't let them. It's it's too demoralizing and it's too much energy and work to play for free. You know, mm -hmm. it, it would have to be something pretty special for me to say, yeah, you should probably do this. Right. Um, well, in New York, it's more or less, if you're going to play for free, you're playing on the circuit where you might get noticed. Sure. So the club owners sure. then have them over. Sure. You know. Yeah. So it's not like I, we were asking somebody yesterday or the day before about the clubs on Broadway. Are those bands coming close to making $20 a person to be play in the window there mm -hmm. for because it's such an exposure mm -hmm. thing, you know? And she really didn't give a, yeah. a satisfying answer anyway. My understanding is they're 100% tips. Yeah. I don't think a lot of those bars pay the bands to be yeah, there. Right. But the bands have gotten really good at They put the bucket in your oh face yeah, and no, you they feel come, guilty. They walk around. But they deserve it. They yeah. work yeah. so hard. But they walk yeah. around with it, too. Absolutely. I mean, we were in, uh, I don't know, one of them one night last year. It was a Monday night, and there were a guy, we were talking to somebody who was knew the band. One of the guys was 80 who had played with Roy Aikoff and all of those guys, and that's what he's doing on Monday night, you know. And you had seasoned players, you know. It wasn't just new, up and coming, sure. and they were passing the hat, you know, mm -hmm. you know. And or, or we saw, I think I saw like six bottles of beer on the, yeah. on this mm -hmm. bottom of the stage, you know. That that's, that's what they were working for. Um, I mean, it's a shame that in America we view the arts, you know. We always say, of course, in school, you're in the arts because they couldn't stop you. Because <laughs> they, so they figure out they can't stop you, and that's the person you want to manage, of course. And and I always say fate will tell you. I was an artist, too, and I was on Epic Records and so on. And fate will tell you. You know, don't listen to her or her. her fate's going to tell you when I guess you're going to have to get another job or do something else. You just don't have when, it. Whenever my students come to me and they say, well, I got this great job offer for this marketing company. I'm trying to decide if I do that or music. And I say, do that. If mm -hmm. you can even stomach the sentence mm -hmm. that That's you're wrestling it. with the decision, yeah. you got to do that. Yeah. Because you're going to get six months into the music business and you're going to say, why did I do this? Mm -hmm. Why did I turn down this other great offer? Mm -hmm. The people that should be in music business or should be making the art are the ones that can't do anything else. They couldn't stop. They just can't, mm -hmm. yeah, can't stop. Yeah. I love so that. Let me ask you this about releasing. You mentioned one, one of your bands, I think, is uh, working on a new EP. Mm -hmm. Music... Uh, music content release strategies. Are you of the ilk that, in your genre especially, it's still okay to put out an EP or an album? Or are you thinking, you know what, it's really such a singles-driven market, Pr record all five or six, seven songs at the same, at the same time, but every month we're going to release sure. one new one, and after seven months then you can consider that an EP. Just so seven months in a row we have something of substantial to promote. I was just having this conversation with an artist before I got here. Americana, thankfully, in my mind, is still album-based, mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I'm thankful for that. I, I, I think the way that the artists I work with create music um, 
is they think about albums holistically and they think about what goes together and what phase am I going through in my life and what topics am I writing about right now. One of the artists I manage is called the Secret Sisters and they um, went through a rough time a couple years ago and so they wrote this album, You Don't Own Me Anymore. And it's, it's about, you know, taking control of their career and mm-hmm. taking control of their relationships. And it's this very like powerful women power interesting timing too when it when it ended up coming out but that was what they were going through the record they're going to make next isn't going to say the same thing they're in better places and they're happy they're married and they're so i i think the artists i work with and the genre i'm in we're still very album based Mm -hmm. but i think content is king and so we the challenge i'm facing is how do we kind of still try to have this album cycle where you write an album you record it we spend some time promoting it, you know, getting ready, gearing up, releasing it, touring behind it, you know, for a year and then taking some time off and doing it again, but continually releasing content along the way. So that's videos, that's, you know, B-sides, that's live acoustic performances, that's a Christmas song, you know, so we put out these little snippets in between, but I think you know, the Americana Award nominations were announced yesterday and, and they do album of the year and they do, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's Grammys still are pretty album based. So it's going to be interesting to see how it shifts. But radio doesn't really drive Americana. It's It does a little bit, but we're not catering to radio. We're catering to an audience that wants a vinyl record that they sit down and have like a good glass of whiskey and listen to it for 45 minutes straight. Mm-hmm. Are you spending a lot of time trying to get music on certain Spotify playlists? Or get it to the right person, so NPR is going to play it, or KCRW, or you absolutely. mentioned AAA radio earlier yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those. It's it's interesting because the gatekeepers are kind of changing, and who that is is changing. Um, but yes, absolutely. Um, there's a there's a a woman who works for Spotify that does most of the Americana playlist, and she was at this event I was at yesterday, and I was like trying to get to her <laughs> to say hello and make sure I could like shake her hand and remind her that I exist and my artists exist and whatever you're programming today, please include the secret mm-hmm. sisters. And I mean, at labels, there are staff people that that's their whole job is, right. to, is to go do that. And so I interact with those people at the secret sisters label. And for the artists that don't have labels, I'm helping to do that. And we have some distribution deals. And so the distributors are helping to do that. But those things are, they're really important. So if, you know, the way my company works, because a lot of my artists are, you know, small but growing, is if they if they can't afford to hire the team member, if they can't hire the publicist to get to NPR, then I'm trying to do it for them. If they can't afford to hire or they don't have a distribution deal to get to the playlist, then I'm trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if they do have those things, I'm doubling up on the efforts and making sure that those things happen. Mm. Do you have any further questions? No, that sounded yeah. great. Because this has been great. Yeah. Thank you. Actually, I could probably talk can I say one thing? Nope. Yeah. That's it. So, okay. no, of course, okay. please. Well, I just wanted to clarify. You said one of the reasons you asked me is because I said I didn't have any internships. And I just want to clarify. I do think internships are important. But what I think is the most important thing is that you leave college with skills that are applicable to businesses. So I didn't intern because instead I, I planned arena shows for my college. So I was given $15,000 budgets and I got to hire lighting and sound and I got to, so I had these resume bullet points that that to me was better experience than like taking tickets at a venue. I got to actually put on a show. You were on a panel then yesterday. Mm -hmm. Oh, I saw that panel. Oh okay, yeah, because you said that you told that story from yeah. the uh, okay with yeah. the gr- the girl who ran it was another Belmont grad uh-huh. Eva uh-huh. Uh, the, the Eva Moore yeah Eva yeah, Moore McKinsey. we interviewed her yesterday yeah. okay so mm-hmm. she's, okay very good okay. um so you know I I, I just want to make sure I'm clear I, I I think that leaving 
making sure in college you get experience that's relevant outside of the classroom. That can be at an internship. That can be yeah, participating in right things like this. Right. Yes. I just mm. don't want you to go back no, and say, Aaron no, thinks no, no. the internships are not important. <laughs> she no. says they're stupid. No, you, you made that very clear <laughs> okay. on the panel that like, you wished you had interns. Sure. Because I would have had a lot more connections, yeah. for sure. But well, when, yeah. when, when I was going to school, what Marconi always said was um, get the internship, but when you get your summer job or whatever, get it in the music business. You know, so yeah. what I, I remember I worked for this uh, record retail, Crazy Eddie. Mm-hmm. Trans World Music, yeah. which was yeah, in those days, point of purchase was yeah, working king. At a record store. You know, so yeah. they knew point yeah. of purchase, yeah. and I would say, quit Macy's and go to work at Best Buy or whatever, because at least you're getting a point of purchase experience that was always valued in the industry Absolutely. up until Spotify. Nice. Yeah. You know. Well, there we go. Yeah. So, Erin Anderson, we need to thank you. Olivia Management. Thank you. Thank you right. so much. I love being here. Thanks for really having good. me. Okay. Jade Brunton, thank you for getting her here. Jade Brunton. Yay. All right, Jade. Thank you. When did Jade, when are you going to be a professional in the industry? Soon, hopefully. That's so. good. All right, so it's the end of the show. At the end of the show, we don't say hello. No, we don't. It's the end of the show. Right. Why say hello when you're going away? Right. Doesn't right. make any sense. You're right. just going to lead them on. Right. And we don't want to lead our listeners on because the show's over. It's over. Or we should say goodbye. Goodbye. Hey, Dave, what do Paul Sinclair from Atlantic, Tom Hefter from Ticketmaster, Rosie Lopez from Tommy Boy, and Heather Ellis from Pandora all have in common? They're all bigwigs in the music and entertainment industry, Esteban. And? They all hate warm beer. And? They've all been guests on the Music Biz 101 and More radio show at 8 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Bingo. If you want to learn more about the music and entertainment biz, tweet in a question and tune in every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock to Music, music Biz 101 and More on Brave New Radio. radio. 